Have you ever needed a supportive community in your journey to advance racial equity, stop and prevent oppression, and catalyze change in your life or your organization? Join us in our online community at intentionallyact.com. As James Baldwin wrote, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's faced. Join us online to confront the challenging questions and situations in your journey to advance racial equity as we build community to offer professional, personal, and organizational development, skills, and knowledge. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Atia Martin. Welcome to Intentionally Act Now, a podcast that supports the All Aces mission to activate consciousness, catalyze critical thinking, and transform capabilities that advance racial equity and build resilience within ourselves and our organizations. We feature a wide variety of leading experts in diversity, equity, and inclusion, conflict management, critical race theory, personal growth, and more. Hi, this is host Enrico E. Manalo. In this conversation, Dr. S. Atia Martin hosts Dr. Jenny C. Stevens, Director of the School of Public Policy and Urban Affairs at Northeastern University and author of Diversifying Power, Why We Need Anti-Racist Feminist Leadership on Climate and Energy. In this engaging conversation, Dr. Martin and Dr. Stevens talk about what it means to have outcomes that are just, not only in terms of leadership, but in the climate and energy spheres as well. In talking about how we move forward, Dr. Martin and Dr. Stevens also talk about what women and people of color need, not only to be heard, but to be included in spaces where decisions about climate and energy are made, which so often gets left out of the technocratic perspective that has become the norm for how we discuss climate and energy. A note about the name of the show. In 2020, we were calling it All Aces On Air. In 2021, we renamed the show Intentionally Act Live to more concretely center the show as IntentionallyAct.com's peer and public engagement engine. Join us on IntentionallyAct.com today. Welcome, everyone, to All Aces On Air. I am excited as usual, but I am especially excited today because I am hosting a wonderful person who is a colleague, who is a friend, and um, has a lot to offer with her expertise. And that is the wonderful Dr. Jenny Stevens. Welcome to the show, Dr. Jenny Stevens. Um, And just for context for folks before we um, have Dr. Stevens, um, which I am going to call her Jenny afterwards. Um, But for this part, I want to call her Dr. Stevens because I'm about to say a couple of things that are really um, about her contributions through her book, Diversifying Power, which is an amazing contribution that helps us to better understand, number one, um, why it's so important that we have diversity within climate change, within the energy space. And, um, and when we say diversity, she really focuses on this intersection between um, feminism or um, uh, looking at anti-sexism work, also at the intersection of anti-racism or racial equity work. And so for today's conversation, we're really going to get into what are the parts of her journey that are really important to her 
um, and being able to arrive at some of the um, lessons that she has learned in, in um, promising practices, as well as um, the book and some of the specific content. So um, without further ado, welcome, Jenny. It is such a pleasure to have you. And as I warned, I'm going to ask you, what is the most important thing that you feel like the audience needs to know about you? Well, thank you so much, Atia. Great to be have this opportunity to have this conversation with you. Um, I think one of the things that kind of just to share a little bit of where I'm coming from is I've always been um, focused on and committed to thinking about the environment and from a very, from a social perspective and and thinking about how our communities and are are reliant on and connected with uh, the environment. And I, in my own kind of journey, I started out focusing and I was kind of trained with a science and engineering background, mm -hmm. thinking about environmental issues from that perspective. And um, I, wh where I, uh, what I've learned throughout my career, and I've been working on climate energy issues um, for my whole career now, probably 20, 25 years, mm -hmm. and really recognizing that the focus on technology and science is has excluded so many ideas, so many people, so many prior priorities, and we've missed opportunities for recognizing the potential of um, prioritizing social innovation mm -hmm. as well as technological innovation. Like technology is important, of course. Um, and we also really have been missing a lot of opportunities to think about social innovation. And when we don't think as much about the social, we also miss opportunities um, to consider social justice and racial justice and economic justice and how a lot of our attempts to, you know, address environmental issues, climate, um, moving away from fossil fuels toward more, more renewable energy, we have some, some of those initiatives actually make some of the social justice and equity issues worse. Um, and that's a real problem that we need to um, move away from that very technocratic way of thinking and really think about investments and investing in our communities and our organizations so that we can align our priorities as we address the climate crisis um, and not in exclusion of everything else. Um, so that's kind of like one of the core messages of, of my work and how I've um, really brought, kind of synthesized my different experiences, um, which have been mostly, you know, as I mentioned, my a lot of my training and my work has been at the in this academic space, uh, which is also very kind of white male dominated. Um, yeah. And, and so I've, I've been just really kind of grappling with what we're missing, right? By not having more inclusive 
discourse and, and engaged different ways of participatory processes that bring in um, what people and are really focused, need to focus on and, and our priorities for people. Yes. And thank you for that, because I think, um, you know, from a, a content perspective, right, it's really important that we thread the needle through all of these different places. One thing I want to do, uh, which is a slight departure, is uh, my cousin is watching on LinkedIn. And so I want to acknowledge Jesse Bland. Hey, cuz. Good to see you. And I want to acknowledge Monique, the rapper, who is asking if we can see what she types. And the answer is yes, Monique, we can see what she types. Um, all of that said, um, I really um, want to also um, highlight a couple of things about your background that I didn't cover in the intro because I really wanted to get into the conversation and Atiyah can talk. <laughs> so that said, um, you are the director of the School of Public Policy and Urban Affairs and the Dean's Professor of Sustainability Science and Policy at Northeastern University. That's a lot. What does that mean? Yeah. So I um, am a professor and I teach and um, I also am very involved in really thinking about how universities and our educational system can connect with and, and contribute to society in, in more ways than um, in addition to the students that we train, right? And mm -hmm. students, but also thinking about how um, the research that's that gets done and, and kind of this research to practice, knowledge to action link. So I'm, um, and I think that that also connects with my experiences, as I mentioned, kind of going from kind of more science and engineering background to where I am now in, a, in the School of Public Policy, which is very focused on um, how to integrate the, the knowledge and the research into action, right? Through mm -hmm. our policies, through um, engagement in, with communities, and um, so that's so that's where it's um, a, a good space for me to be because um, it provides uh, a, a lot of opportunities to connect with all kinds of people, including you and 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 so many others that I I get to uh, collaborate with. So I'm very collaborative, actually. That's <laughs> a very important thing. Um, and a lot of uh, academics uh, aren't as collaborative, I think, uh, because mm -hmm. part of what um, being a professor often means is being an expert in something. And when you're an expert, sometimes you're you're expected to just kind of keep getting narrow and say you're only an expert in this, but therefore you don't know mm -hmm. about other things. And I've never been that way. Like I, I really um, think broadly and and really I'm learning all the time through my collaborations with different people. And um, 
And so I think that's an important piece of how I've been, uh, of what, where I am in my, with my job and, and, and connecting in that way. So the, so the book that I, that you mentioned is not a conventional kind of academic book. It's really a call to action. Um, and it's really, uh, intended to be inspirational. Um, it's about, it's really about examples of all kinds of leaders who are not having the narrow technocratic approach to climate and energy that a lot of climate energy experts are embracing, but really people um, who are connecting climate and energy directly to jobs and economic justice, to our mm -hmm. health, to food, to housing, to transportation, um, to the core issues that are most important to people and families and communities. Um, and that's where um, chapter one in the book is actually called Growing the Squad. Um, and the squad, as people may know, refers to four junior congresswomen, including our own Ayanna Presley, uh, who represents us um, in DC. Um, who they have come on the national stage in the past couple of years and really changed the discourse on climate, pol climate and energy policy because they have been able to connect um, climate and energy with jobs and economic justice when the discussions about the Green New Deal, with uh, criminal justice and, and systemic racism, um, and with the need for... Um, investments in public housing, right? We have a housing crisis and um, we often don't uh, acknowledge that in the national discourse and the opportunities for connecting that with thinking about energy because the built environment is so much of the, um, such a big part of our en the energy we use. So investments in housing, which are so desperately needed is an opportunity to advance um, uh, clean and renewable and efficient energy. So <clears throat> for fo folks who have not realized it, um, so Jenny's a woman, right? And as a woman, right, um, within a society um, that is... Um, uh, has been taught a lot of things that are not explicitly about women and our roles and who we are supposed to be or not supposed to be, but that reinforces those ideas, which means that um, as part of this system, we keep talking about, usually here at All Aces, we're, we're laser being focused on racial equity, which we're gonna come to. Mm -hmm. uh, but in this context of um, uh, being a woman in this work, in this society, writing this book, um, what has that experience been like for you? Yeah, so um, I've been working a lot on energy issues, like mm -hmm. thinking about moving away from fossil fuels toward renewable energy. And one of the things that has happened to me, experiences uh, that I've had, um, you know, repeatedly is kind of going to energy conferences um, where they're probably like, there could be two or 300 people in the room and only 
five or six of us are women, right? Mm -hmm. So we see each other across the room. We might have lunch together. Um, and, um, you know, I've met friends and colleagues that in that context. And when we talk, one of the things we have realized or are part of some of those conversations I've realized is that, um, you know, we bring a very a different experience and a different set of priorities and um, different perceptions of risk and what's important to those conversations, to those energy conferences, right? That are predominantly uh, white men. Um, and one of the things that I've that I've learned um, through my experiences is also that when women, people of color, indigenous folks, and other people who have been excluded historically, right, from leadership positions or uh, specific sectors or, or specific kinds of opportunities, um, when we're given the opportunity and we show up in those spaces, we bring uh, different priorities, different life experiences, different um, perceptions of risk and are able to, um, we have different capacity, therefore, to, to see some of the social justice issues um, or the um, uh, structural racism, the gender bias issues, the, that then the people who've been there all along and not kind of been noticing these issues, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and that, I think is is really um, something that is an opportunity for all of us, no matter what our gender or our race or our religion is, to acknowledge and and recognize and embrace the reality of those systemic uh, obstacles, and we have to be constantly and and vigilantly assessing and reassessing what we're doing, our practices, our processes, our policies, so that we're not reinforcing and perpetuating, uh, but are rather disrupting and uh, redistributing power, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and in, in ways that are um, reducing inequities and, and disparities uh, by centering social justice rather than pretending that there are no problems there, which end up perpetuating and exacerbating. The, exactly. the, yeah. Yeah, that it, it's, so before I say what I'm gonna say, I'm gonna um, do this. So number one, I wanna say shout out to HG for um, uh, posting, for watching. Thank you. And we see you in the energy space trying to do your part to diversify and to bring up the hard issues that um, a lot of people don't want to be talking about. And thank you for hosting, having me as part of um, one of your sessions um, with your group. And I also want to acknowledge Ben Cares. Um, it's good to see you, sir. And, um, and, and we are very excited to be here together and glad that you're here joining us. And so this idea of um, uh, why it's important to do this, right, from a... Um, you know, one of the framings you used was, you know, if we want to um, have outcomes that are just, that we have to be thinking about these issues from the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
And this gets to a larger piece, which is, do we, I'm just going to say it plainly, do we want to win, right? Like, do we want to actually <laughs> accomplish um, these big goals um, for our country, for our communities? Um, and if we do want to do that well, then we have to acknowledge that there's a diversity of people out here, right? And that there is no um, one monolithic group. And yes, race and racism <clears throat> are um, realities. Uh, racism, I'll say, is a reality that um, uh, disproportionately uh, marginalizes people of color, um, or I should say marginalizes people of color and disproportionately places the burden of climate change and um, the potential burdens of what it means to do to shift to these new energy ways of being, um, because you see also the the lack of a, a, a benefits analysis and burdens analysis, right? To be a, with this lens of social justice. All of that to say, um, as we think about how we move forward and how we incorporate um, more women, more people of color into the field um, into processes as decision makers to help at bring that lens in that context. What kind of preparation um, do women and people of color need? And then you know what the second question is going to be, which is in what kind of preparation do organizations need to be able to um, do the reception of um, the reception part well in terms of um, equity and inclusion? So I'm going to start with what is it that we need to be doing as, as people of color and as women to prepare to enter into these spaces from your experience? Yeah, so I think um, there, there's, it's kind of a two-way answer here because there, there's things that um, we can do to enter into those spaces and there's so many things that um, the people who are already in those spaces need to need to do to help um, to be more inclusive, right? So it's 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 both, um, and I think um, the what I find so powerful uh, about the connection is making the connections that climate and energy are connected to everything that we actually wake up every day worrying about, right? Like mm -hmm. that's what we've, what we, we've missed with this technocratic lens when people talk about greenhouse gas accounting and carbon pricing and green, um, you know, even it's just, it's just very technocratic. It's not what people, we, we like talk about in our families, in our communities. It's not our, our um, they're kind of abstract uh theory, theoretical kind of concept. So what I think the, the powerful um, connections are for us to connect that with the opportunities for jobs and job creation and economic um, uh, development in our communities, right? And, and the power of renewable energy, um, and I guess it's getting a little bit uh, nerding out a little on energy, but there's this idea of energy democracy, which is acknowledging that if we move away from fossil fuels, so fossil fuel companies and fossil fuel interests have had so much power over our political system and even and over our culture, 
um, with these conservative values and also really concentrating wealth and power and kind of exploitative, right, of so many um, uh, workers and, and communities and black and brown communities have been disproportionately impacted by fossil fuel infrastructure and fossil fuel um, transportation and, and refining and, and all of that. And when we move away and we envision this renewable-based future um, that really could be distributed, we can distribute the power literally and figuratively because every community, every place on earth actually has access to renewable energy, not just wind and solar, but places like Boston on the coast could have wave and tidal energy, and they could also have offshore wind, which, which has a lot of potential. Inland communities could have solar and wind, but also like geothermal energy, which is a whole energy source from the, earth, the, the Earth's center of the Earth that we could uh, harness, but which we haven't really invested in. So, and when you, the, the what's transformative about that is that the um, renewable energy is actually renewable in that it's abundant, it's plentiful, it is perpetual, it keeps, it's actually really reliable and it's free once you've figured out how to harness it. So that's what's transformative about it. And in a lot of our conversations about climate energy, that gets missed. Um, and so it, it, and it, it allows for a local and community and regional appropriate mix of these um, technologies, but then also the um, local and regional control and ownership and, and local keeping the profits and the benefits and the and local uh, which is which is a, a huge additional piece so um so i mentioned that because i think the we need um diversity of perspectives and experiences to enable to um kind of bring forth that vision to reality because the conventional thinking isn't going there, right? Mm -hmm. And we need to ground this work in um, what do our, our communities need? How can we be um, less reliant on these big corporate interests, right? How can we bring the economic benefits and, and keep um, the, the economic benefits local and regional? Um, and so, so that's a little bit tangent from your original question, but I think it's it's important piece of how we can um, we we need to open up this space and make connections, right? And mm -hmm. and not keep it as like a separate issue um, mm -hmm. because it really isn't. Um, and and I think that's where um, people who may not yet have have considered themselves in this space or prioritizing climate and energy work. Um, um, it's an opportunity to, to connect. And, and that's also where I get so inspired because I see um, the youth movement and I see the movement for black lives and I see um, the inter, the, these new coalitions of, of, of advocates and act, act, activists who are recognizing that this, many of this, these 
the cause or the root of these challenges are, are interconnected. And we have to um, recognize those linkages and um, integrate that into our, our, our vision of where we want to go um, and what, how we want to proceed now as a way toward a bigger kind of transformation toward mm -hmm. a more prosperous and sustainable future for all, not, not just for, for some. Thank you for that. And I think, um, you know, to your point around the question of kind of how do, you know, people of color and women prepare themselves to um, be involved in these spaces. You know, one of the things we talk a lot about all, at All ACEs is um, kind of power and agency, right? And what's in our circle of influence, um, both in terms of what we have direct control over um, and the things that we can can have impact on, can influence. Um, and movements are a big part of that. And what I've learned from, um, uh, you know, my um, work in community is that there's a lot that we who are on the receiving end of oppression have to unlearn and undo so that we don't replicate the same patterns of thinking and behavior. Um, and, and there's a lot that um, many of us have learned along the way because we did some research, we did some study, we did internal looks at ourselves to be able to show up in, in all types of spaces healthy, right? To be able to manage ourselves. And it's not a destination, it's a constant journey because, you know, depending on stress levels and depending on whatever is going on, it's easy to kind of, it's easier to just coast and go along with things. It's harder to really be present in moments and really notice when things are out of sorts and have language um, and uh, to be able to talk about it in ways that people can hear you. Um, and so as I think about um, part of the opportunities that we have in the space, in addition to the those pieces of understanding oppression and what it is and how it works and building our own um, uh, our own uh, power, um, which there's different types of power. We've been talking up to this point about power over, right? Traditional forms of power. Um, I'm, I'm excited about the work we do um, internally with um, ourselves as part of um, the team um, and then with organizations in that space of um, owning our power in that we as who as people of color in, in particular in, in our focus areas, but people who are in the receiving end of oppression um, really do actually have a lot of power. It's an invisible power that we actually have to tap into, which means learning a lot. And in the space of energy, um, what are some of the things that um, you think it's important for people to really be paying attention to? So you listed, you know, um, understanding that renewable energy um, is, can be a transformative opportunity, right? Because of all of the kind of um, processes that you described, um, that having the divor di um, diverse voices at the table um, help us to be able to see different perspectives. Um, and then I just brought into the conversation and in order to be um, in these conversations as women, as people of color, there's, there's certain work that we have to do and then I, I want to get to the or the these organizations and institutions and policymakers and all of the different folks who are um, really driving the train on all of this. Um, 
what is it that they need to do differently um, to to have um, equity and to be inclusive with all of these different voices um, that need to be informing where this train goes? Yeah, so I really like the framing of unlearning. Um, and I think there needs to be unlearning um, on so many levels by so many people, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's including the, um, you know, white male scientists or also need to unlearn what they have been um, taught their whole lives or like their life experience and has and 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 many people don't genuinely don't realize um, the how especially in science I think and in uh, people think science is somehow absolute or 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 unbiased or you know what I mean mm -hmm. like and it's objective. And object exactly, and people they really can't, don't see how um, science and the scientific process and the and the, the education um, system kind of around science um, has ha is continues to be very exclusive and um, and a part of this bigger systems of of oppression and, and unequal power dynamics and, and all of that. So I um, I think, so I think that this, this notion of unlearning, like there's so much unlearning that needs to be done mm -hmm. um, it, regarding racism, sexism, um, and so many conventional norms, right? That, mm -hmm people and as you you mentioned you know how hard it is right it's all so much easier for any of us to just go along like oh this is the way it is right mm -hmm. and that's what most people you know we all do to some degree right yeah. in, our, in different levels and different times and and it takes a lot of energy it takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of commitment like a deep commitment to be able to bring that uh courage to the table or to the meeting or to the whatever kind of interaction and and so it's it's um and so that's why it's i mean that's what makes uh it so hard to to for people to even imagine what a deeper systemic change looks like right um mm -hmm. and and one of the things that i um have been thinking about during this time of the pandemic that we're in, um, you know, everything, it, it's, it's a very disruptive time, right? Mm -hmm. we are, we're all doing things and um, living our lives in ways that we didn't, we had no idea and we, we didn't really imagine uh, mm -hmm. a few months ago, or I guess now it's like nine or 10 months ago. <laughs> uh, it's been going on a while and, um, and it, there's so much, hardship and suffering and, and, um, you know, it's just such a hard time for so many people right now. And, um, and what's, what, what has also been happening is kind of a revealing of the depths of, um, 
some of the economic inequities, the racial disparities and mm -hmm. health outcomes and, 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 and this extreme concentration of wealth and power among a very few people who um, are continuing even during this pandemic when so many mm -hmm. people, communities and families are in such hardship and suffering right now. Um, some of those, you know, billionaires are continuing to concentrate their wealth and power, right? So Ooh, they're making money. They're making a lot of money right now. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that is, um, you know, it's, it, it's just, it's so unsustainable. Like if you look at the, the graphs of concentration of wealth and power and like the top 1% is just keep going up and up and everybody else is going down. And then the racial disparities within that are even even worse and it's just like it has like we can't continue this way right and so that's where i i remain optimistic that this the disruption that we're seeing right now that we're experiencing um first of all i mean we need bigger big public investments in our communities to re survive recover like rebuild, re reconfigure. And, and I think if that's where, um, you know, I, I, it's a call for all of us to um, stay engaged and, and use our, our power uh, to get involved to make sure that those investments in the kind of pandemic recovery are made in such a way that we're investing in um, the communities that have been underinvested for so long, right? Mm -hmm. And we need to make sure we direct the whatever the next phase is um, to make sure that we use this that this disruptive moment is leveraged for um, for change and for bigger transformative change and not just a little you know tweak around the edges because we're at a point and and this is where I mean we haven't talked explicitly about the climate crisis but you know, we are, um, climate disruptions of all kinds are just getting more and more frequent and intense and, and disruptive. And we know, um, that the inequities in who's being impacted, um, and we need to, um, prioritize the, the, the investments to help and contribute to elevating, um, the resilience of, of all of the communities that have been excluded for, and for too long. Right. And so, so that, that actually brings up a good point, um, around resilience, because I was holding on to the fact that, um, that you are, um, the director for strategic research collaborations at Northeastern university's global resilience Institute, which, um, I'm a distinguished senior fellow, very fancy. Um, and you just said the word resilience, right? In that 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 we we, we need to contribute to the resilience of communities. Now, what most um, uh, people of color who have been um, reading about social justice and racial equity and kind of are more aware, immediately in their minds and immediately in my mind, I used to hear, mm -hmm. "Oh, so you basically just want me to learn how to." Um, 
you know, have more grit and be able to roll with the punches better of racism and other in social injustices and any other category of oppression that I fall into. I just need better skills to be able to, you know, be resilient to those things. And I want to use this as an opportunity to help folks better understand um, the bigger picture of resilience and what it really means and not how it's used um, as part of the system of oppression as a, as a weapon against people of color, right? Mm -hmm. So in this broader context of resilience, what, what, what are we talking about? So um, all of that, like there's, there's so many ways that the word can be used mm -hmm. and so, and it is used. And so I, sometimes I actually stay away from it too, because it's like, um, but I, I think the way I think about it is um, being prepared for adapting to, and then learning from um, disruptions. So there are going to be disruptions. There's disruptions in our lives. Um, for our organizations, for our, um, you know, our infrastructure can be disrupted. Like resilience can refer to so many different things at different mm -hmm. scales. Um, and, uh, and um, what, what we really, what, what one critical thing that I think is really important to acknowledge is that when we have, um, say, a big storm, Mm -hmm. Right. Um, all too often what's happened is people who are um, higher up on the socioeconomic um, uh, perspective or, or uh, spectrum hierarchy, or, hierarchy, whatever, got you. are are, you know, they may have insurance. Right. So if their home gets flooded. Um, they may get insurance money and they can actually fix it and it might actually be better afterward, right? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. and because of the way a lot of our systems are, uh, people who um, don't have those resources, if their home gets flooded and they don't have insurance, they are in you know dire straits right like they ha may have to move they may have to um yeah get be they may be need not have a home for a while right till they find some someplace else or figure out something else and so with each disruption with each big storm um the, a lot of our current systems are actually exacerbating inequities and disparities because of the way our even our response and our preparedness and our adapting to those disruptions are actually making things worse. Um, and, and that kind of, I mean, it, it connects back to what I was uh, also alluding to with renewable energy incentives. Some of the policies for renewable energy are the same thing, or even energy efficiency. They, they, they're these, incentives out there there's money available um to put solar panels on your roof so it's homeowners who um in suburban communities that single family homes and they have extra few thousand dollars in the bank and they get the the big incentive and they get the solar panels on their roof and then they have free electricity um and whereas renters and other folks who don't have that are left out right and they don't get those benefits so um this is again where um, 
it's it's really important that we acknowledge how so many of our systems and our policies and our processes are um, deeply inequitable and actually are promoting and reinforcing inequities rather than the other way around. Um, so when you ask about resilience, I see, um, I, I appreciate and I understand fully the, the, the way um, that word uh, can't, is interpreted and, and, and my uh, colleague and, and good friend Shalanda Baker actually has written a piece about anti-resilience, right? Mm -hmm. For, in it, because what we need, <clears throat> need to, we do not want to build back stronger and reinforce the current systems, right? With right. resilience. What we need yeah. is we actually need disruption, right? So mm -hmm. that we can um, uh, re restructure things in a more equitable way. And, mm -hmm. and so, so that's some of the, the kind of nuance associated with the word resilience. Um, and so I appreciate you asking and, and having the opportunity to, to talk that through a little bit. Um, yeah, thank you for that. And, and it's, it's interesting because on, on the resilience front, one thing I'll add, because I actually, um, you know, before I really nerded out before, you know, before I did my master's program and really studied and read about resilience and in, in, in um, the breadth of it, right? At the individual level, what it means to be resilient, what it means to be resilient in communities, what it means to be resilient in a city, what we need, you know, across the country to be resilient. And I found that um, there's actually a lot of strength and power in what resilience really is and not in the, the, the common way we talk about it or the way in mainstream media it gets weaponized against um, oppressed people. Yeah. And the thing that I appreciate about the, um, about the concept itself and how it works in real life is that there's, there's resilience in this context of when things happen, right? That you have what you need in order to um, not just survive, right? But to to thrive uh, moving forward and to really be kind of bounce forward, as they like to say, and and when we when they used to say when resilience um, became part of mainstream conversation, it used it used to be, you know, you want to bounce back, right? Go back to the way things were. You want to build things back just how they were before because that makes us comfortable. Um, and really, this idea of resilience is about bouncing forward. It's about understanding where we are before you know, while we're dealing with chaos and drama and trauma, but also, um, you know, when things aren't as bad, that we're looking at where where are we as an individual, as a community, as a city, as a society, where do we want to be, right? What's in our way of getting there? And in a lot of cases, different forms of oppression um, and other factors are in our way of getting there. Um, but most importantly, um, what are the things that we need to change so that when we come out on the other end of getting closer to who we want to be, um, that things are so much better for everyone in that process, right? So as an individual, when I think about my own experiences and this concept of resilience, um, that there's a lot of, um, I, I, I lived a portion of my life 
with a lot of um, invisible power, right? Things I didn't know was there. I didn't know that um, when I'm in certain spaces that really it's up to me to um, learn language and learn how to navigate in these spaces and, and to be able to bring um, different perspectives. And to your point earlier about having the courage to do that, that there's a level of courage involved in doing that. And it's not just my responsibility as a person of color, as a female, but it's everybody's responsibility to learn these skills, to build the courage, to build the language, to build the racial equity literacy, the social justice literacy, the um, emotional intelligence, the communication skills, the critical thinking skills, the conflict management skills, all of these different things that contribute to our ability to um, uh, reimagine and, um, and, and equitably implement approaches that are gonna help us actually achieve that ultimate goal of being better being better as individuals, being better as communities, being better cities as a country. And so when I think about um, what you said earlier about systems change, that all of this is really about systems change um, and that um, the, the research on transformative resilience really talks a lot about systems change. And you went through it in the context of um, renewable energy right? The types, there's this whole shifting in thinking that needs to happen because, you know, we can't, um, it's been overused, but it is overused because it is too true, which is you can't solve problems um, using the same thinking that created them, right? So we have to um, start with reimagining, um, and, and which means unlearning and learning some different ways of being, um, and then figuring out what are our options, what, what full, full options, not just what we can think of in the moment because we're rushing and we have all this sense of urgency, some of it false, most of it false, some of it true, um, to be able to um, uh, arrive at a place where um, we, can, we can develop the kinds of strategies and approaches that work. Um, all of that to say, um, there's this process of systems change that we, <clears throat> excuse me, that we've, we've learned about, that we've seen um, in research, on the research side. In regular life, um, we've seen it in movements. Um, we've seen it in communities at these micro scales. But most people haven't actually um, seen what system change can be. Be, what it looks like, what it feels like. Um, and I don't want to put, I don't, I, I don't want to kind of end the show with saying, okay, solve the world's problems. You know, how, how do we change the whole system um, within this context of energy? Um, but I did want to explicitly kind of call that out as a thread throughout our conversation mm -hmm. around this shift in thinking, the shift in tools and process that we need to have in place in reality. And um, as a as we wrap up and as we uh, uh, begin to um, close the door on this conversation, which I'm, I'm time flew, um, I do want to acknowledge a couple of folks. So Naniqua Blanding um, said, "Thank you for your leadership and commitment in this. Yes, this work is." a learning journey, and it requires us all to tap into our power, both seen and unseen, to create change. 
And if you don't know who Naniqua Blanding is, she is an amazing human being who is a vice president at Health Resources in Action in Boston, doing amazing work um, to, to do at this intersection of kind of research and community and looking forward to um, reconnecting because uh, we, we were supposed to get back together again, Naniqua. And then um, Pallavi, I hope I'm saying your name right, Pallavi, or Payavi. Uh, I'm not sure um, which language to anchor my pronunciation in, um, said she loves the unpacking of the social and racial resilience in the context of climate adaptation and vulnerabilities. Um, Kristen, hey, it's Kristen Hendricken, who is over at Boston University now. Congratulations. And it's she's not new anymore, but she's getting, uh, hopefully getting settled into her role. It's a pleasure to see you, ma'am. Um, we also um, have, okay, don't get mad at me, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for the pronunciation here. Adesuwa, um, Adesuwa says, love the conversational resilience and ways to bounce forward. So all of that to, um, land us here. Um, I want to. I want to end on a, a, a not as heavy a note, um, and just say, you know, you spent time writing a book. Many of us have not had that privilege um, of going through that process. What would what What would you like to share about the process of writing the book, Diversifying Power? So I think. Um... It's a book about leadership. Um, and the idea is is not only to focus on you know political leaders, um, although some examples are from political leadership, but really to kind of back to what we're talking about in this conversation of acknowledging we are all leaders, right? Mm -hmm. in, in our own way. We're leaders in our communities, in our families, in our organizations. Um, and we all um, can act to inspire others to be leaders, right? And have the courage to um, speak our truth, speak truth to power, tr you know, be, be engaged and, and, and genuine and authentic in our, um, in our work and in our interactions with, with, with everyone that we um, uh, engage with. So I think um, in writing this book, I um, the hardest part was actually um, figuring out and deciding which examples and which leaders to elevate. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I have a, a whole chapter on courageous uh, leaders who are resisting the polluter elite. So actually challenging the these fossil fuel interests who have so much power, um, including Jackie Patterson of the NAACP. She runs the Environmental and Climate Justice Program and they've done a love Jackie. Yeah. Love you, Jackie. They've done a, such amazing work um, you know, uh, calling out the manipulation of Black communities in particular with the mm -hmm. fossil fuel interests. Um, and then other leaders like Maura Healy here, our Massachusetts Attorney General, who's also been calling out ExxonMobil and using her, her leverage as the people's lawyer 
of Massachusetts in in speaking truth to power, mm -hmm. um, and and so anyway, the the book has lots of examples of just inspiring, creative, effective people and organizations that are doing amazing work um, on climate energy, but they don't necessarily define themselves that way, right? They're actually mm. work on economic justice, racial justice. Um, uh, health and and well-being and and food for all and clean transportation issues and transit justice and transit equity issues and and housing for all the idea that housing could and should be a human right um, mm -hmm. and leaders who are standing up for that so um, in writing the book um, it was it, it's an it was an opportunity for me to uh, you know expand my own understanding of what's possible and what people are doing and and it's really an optimistic um, uh, story of a whole these just creative and inspiring people. Mm -hmm. um, so what the other piece of it is um, it, the book was actually due supposed to be completed the end of February of 2020. So I finished it pretty much um, and handed it in. And then I had another um, uh, one last chance to kind of review everything before it was published um, in April. So at that point was when, you know, it was clear we were, when I wrote the, the first part, you know, the first draft of the book, it, it was pre-pandemic. So I didn't know um, that, you know, there wasn't, that wasn't a piece of it, but then when I had an opportunity in April to re, you know, do the last revision, uh, it was clear that we are in this pandemic. It's going to be, um, not a short, uh, episode. And so I was actually able to kind of re, not rewrite the book, but reread it and add in acknowledgement of this shift, mm -hmm. this disruptive moment that we're in. So that mm -hmm. actually, um, um, I didn't know, and you know, how long, we still don't know how long we're in this for and mm -hmm. uh, what all the impacts are, but I, you could, I could already sense that it's a, it's again, kind of a disruptive moment, which time, which is also a time for all of us to be reevaluating Re, reimagining, then reinvesting and restructuring, right? So mm -hmm. in that sense, um, it it actually connects um, and and provides even more resonance potentially for what I'm calling for and and what we're a lot of us are working toward in terms of a larger societal transformation um, that is um, you know. Hard to ima imagine sometimes, but at the same time, um, you know, we have to work toward it, um, um, and and that's kind of where we are. And and it's it's been just personally the past few months having the opportunity to talk to people, mm -hmm. talk to folks about the book and about the, some of the inspiring examples has also been really fulfilling during this, you know, really hard time um, and also anxious time for so many people. And, and then the political situation of the past few months, which has added additional. Um, just the past few months? <sighs> no, I'm just joking. No, I know. <laughs> well, I think, yeah. So um, it's been, it's been, um, 
you know, quite a um, fulfilling an ex experience to also to be able to have conversations like this with you. And and thank you so much for for having me um, on the on this uh, on the show and and really appreciate the the conversation and and getting to talk about resilience with you and many other things and uh, building on all of your expertise and, and experiences and the way you were able to synthesize so many of these things as well. It's really uh, uh, an honor to be here with you. Thank you. That means a lot to me, Jenny. Dr. Stevens. Um, and, you know, my question about the book um, was partially because we, we, you know, during our conversation before the show, we talked about that. But also, um, I have leaked a couple of times um, that I am working on a book, and mm -hmm. uh, we are going to uh, have it released uh, in January. Um, and uh, right now, um, well, not right now, uh, I don't plan on changing it. Uh, the title is We Are the Question and the Answer, mm -hmm. um, and really reframing um, this idea of when we talk about systems change, that we're not just talking about um, an external change that needs to happen, that we are part of the system that we keep talking about. And so there's an internal um, part of the process that needs to happen for all of us, regardless of who we are or where we are in our learning, that it, it's constant and ongoing. Um, and so I'm really excited uh, in, in if I'm being completely honest, nervous about that. It's like, you know, it's always uh, nerve wracking to put your your baby out there, um, your, your intellectual baby out there into the world. Um, but all of that to say, um, you know, I really have um, enjoyed our time together. I really uh, enjoy the conversation. I really appreciate you. Um, thank you for sharing your, the book with us. Thank you for sharing yourself with us. Um, and for all of those who took the time on this Wednesday evening to be over here with us, I want to say thank you for joining All Aces on Air. We have some amazing surprises and changes and shifts as we transition to the new year coming up to share with you. And a thank you to all of the folks who have taken the time to post. If we did not get to naming you um, uh, for posting, I apologize. I appreciate you as well. I hope everyone has an amazing rest of the night. And as always, sending lots of love, hope, and action to each and every one of you. You've been listening to Intentionally Act Live from our website, intentionallyact.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Submit your stories and questions for future episodes by emailing us at info at allacesinc.com. Until next time.